So over the last few weeks, we have been doing a series on the fivefold. And who has been there? Who has, who has been to at least one talk? Amazing, amazing. So as a teaching and preaching group, we really felt the Lord um, say to us that we are entering a time of clarity, where the Lord was going to clarify in some aspects, some of our callings, some of our giftings, and affirm what we all individually carry, and how we can use our giftings um, to God's glory and to also build up the local community. So really quickly, um, especially if you've been here um, over the last few weeks, I would love you to just share to the person next to you one thing that you felt like you learnt or stood out to you or something that the Lord spoke to you about in the last few weeks. And again, if it's your first time, maybe someone around you can just share their experience with you. Amazing. One more minute. 30 more seconds. So, if you don't know what the fivefold is, the fivefold um, is basically people that the Lord has anointed to be a blessing to the wider community. So, we have the apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and pastor. And Ephesians actually says that they are gifted to equip the saints, to equip, to equip other Christians in the work of the Lord. So I just want to give a quick synopsis of the past five weeks and just quickly summarize the different functions of the fivefold. And I'm going to use the hand analogy um, to basically explain this. I would love you to get your right hand out. Well, first of all, make it a fist. Okay, and stick out your thumb. Okay, and say with me the apostle. So the word apostle means messenger or someone who is sent forth. And like the thumb that grabs onto things, the apostle literally allows, um, the apostle is literally gifted to establish and build ministries and movements. So they grasp onto things. The next one is the prophet. Say with me the prophet which is your index finger. And like the index finger that points the way, the prophets are gifted in special revelation from God that brings direction, encouragement, and correction. The third one, can anyone take a guess what it is? The evangelist. What's the third one here? <laughs> the evangelist. 
and it's your longest finger. And the reason, um, the reason why it makes a great analogy is because um, your third finger is the longest finger, so it means that it stretches the furthest, and that's what the evangelist does. It stretches the furthest. And these are people who are gifted and um, who have a special gift in to proclaim the good news and welcome people to God's family, so they stretch out for God's people. And they also encourage and train other people to do so as well. The third one is the shepherd, a.k.a. pastor, to so say the pastor. So this is your ring finger. Come on. Your, or the fourth one. Oh, thank you. Y'all are listening. The fourth one. <laughs> so that's your ring finger. And the ring finger symbolizes a commitment to marriage. And the pastors are committed to the care of the flock. And the word pastor literally means shepherd. And shepherds, what do they do? They watch their flock. They protect them, they guide them, and they feed them. So that's what pastor does. It protects and guides and feeds God's people. And the last one is what? The teacher, amazing. We're back in school, y'all. So teacher, which is the little thing, finger? <laughs> which is the little finger? And teachers are gifted to pass on knowledge and understanding to God's people. It's the little finger because often teachers do a work that is unseen, which is behind the scenes, just like a fitness trainer. You might not see um, a fitness trainer when someone's having their personal session, but the work they do is so critical. They equip God people in, in, in the knowledge of God, in God's word. And just to reiterate, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, as we, as we have referred to many times, says their responsibility, all these different functions, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, which is us, and the body of Christ. Amazing. And for some of us, perhaps after a few weeks, we are still a bit confused in terms of where we stand in the fivefold ministry, whether we fit at all. Especially if this is your first time, you might be thinking, God, am I really gifted in any of those areas? And I just want to encourage, I just want to encourage you not to panic because the Lord will reveal to you personally or perhaps through other people in due time. And as I was actually just thinking about this earlier this week, I was reminded of someone called Samuel um, in scripture. And he was someone who grew up in the temple of the Lord. And there was a time where he had never heard, he had never heard of God's voice. And one night while he was sleeping, he heard a voice call him three times. And immediately he thought, this must be my master, Eli, calling me. So he ran up to Eli and said, you know, did you call me? And Eli was like, no, I didn't call you. And he went back three times. And then Eli realized that perhaps this is the Lord speaking to Samuel. So Eli told him after the third time he came to disturb his feet to sleep. Eli told him that perhaps this is the Lord calling you. And when, he, when you hear this voice again, say to the Lord, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord called him again, and that's what he did. And the Lord spoke to him. And scripture goes on to say in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, an LT version, it says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall on the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. So what is the principle that we can draw out from here? 
So the Lord was with Samuel as the years went by and affirmed his calling and other people recognized it. And I just want to say that the Lord is with you as well. Over the years, the Lord will affirm your own personal calling and giftings and other people will recognize it. So I just want to say there's no reason for you to try and force your way. I just want to say that let the Lord expose you in due time. And this reminds me of one of my mentors. He is an international prophet. And he told me that it was only after 20 years of ministry, 20 years of doing church work, that the Lord said to him that I give you permission to specialize as a prophet. So just imagine that's after 20 years. And even with me personally, I work, um, I'm in the office of an apostle and prophet. And for the most part, um, I knew about my prophetic gifting. And that was something that was really called out um, to me um, yeah, from a young age. And I, and I remember just the Lord showing me visions and speaking to me about my own life and other people's lives from a young age. But it was only a few years ago, so I've literally been a Christian since. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, but I really dedicated my life to the Lord when I was 15. So I had been a Christian for quite a few years. But it was only three or four years ago that the Lord really spoke to me about the office of an apostle. And this was obviously, I had been a Christian for quite some time. So I just want to encourage you that it's okay if you feel like I haven't figured it out yet. Just like Samuel, the Lord will be with you over the time, over time and over the years. But for some of us, perhaps we feel like I am none of the fivefold at all. So you're thinking, where does that, where do I fit? What does that mean for me? And I will share on that briefly. And I also just want to share some wisdom on how we can all move in our giftings and callings and make space for other people. So the title of my sermon is, There is Space for You. There's space for you. Amazing. So say to your neighbor, there's space for you. Say to your other neighbor that you didn't speak to, there's space for you. <laughs> Amazing. There is space for you. So in the New Testament, there are many metaphors to describe the church. You know, one metaphor, for, exam for example, is the family of God, branches on a vine, and the bride of Christ. But one of my favorite metaphors used to describe the church is the body or the body of Christ. And we can see this reference in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 to 5. And I'll read from the NLT version. It says this, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So these verses are effectively saying that all of us together in the church community form one body as individuals. We are all different parts of this body. And just like how in our own bodies we have different body parts that perform different function, like our nose enables us to smell, our ears enable us to, to hear, our feet enable us to walk, we are all individually gifted and called to fulfill different functions within the church body. And in verse 5, it explicitly says, we are parts of one, we are parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And this is what scripture says. But, you know, being a pastor and just, you know, <laughs> through the years I've been a Christian, I have heard two main objections when it comes to being rooted in a community, when it comes to 
becoming part of God's body, God's family. I've heard these two main objections. You know, I've heard people, first of all, first of all say, I do not need anyone. And the first type of people say that I don't need anyone. All I need is a father, son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't need Tom. I don't need Hannah. I don't need Ruth. I don't need anyone. Just give me the Trinity. They are my boys. Those are my real people. People like this literally say that I can do faith all by myself. As long as I have online church, shout out to the online family. <laughs> my, as long as I have, you know, my Bible plan and have the latest Maverick City album playing in the background. And perhaps for, you know, just cause, they feel like I don't need to be part of a community because in the past I have been hurt and I have been abused by other Christians. And as a result, they've decided to alienate themselves from the rest of the church community. But Apostle Paul, who was the main writer of the New Testament in the Bible, says this sort of behavior, this heart posture with community is strange. He literally says in verse 19, he says, how strange a body would be if it had only one part, just you. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. So friends, it would be weird if you just decided, you know what, I don't need my eyes, so I'm just gonna gouge out my eyes. Or it's even just as weird to say, you know what, I don't need my, my feet to function, so I'm just going to cut off my feet from my legs. And Paul is essentially saying, just as, just, as th- just as weird as this is, it's just as weird to see a Christian that functions by themselves and lives in isolation outside of Christian community. So those are the first group of people that say, I don't need anyone. The second group of people that object to God's body say, I only need to hang out with people that get me. And these type of people only hang around with others that they feel have a similar gifting or calling to them, or perhaps are similar to them in terms of characteristics. So slowly, even in a church community, you start seeing different camps forming in the church. You know, you start to see the musician's corner talking about how they can transform the sound of worship and how they can play the seventh chord and scoop it into a worship set. You see the evangelist corner discussing the latest miracle story and how they can stretch in their faith and how they can see more people saved. You see the prophetic corner talking about what God is saying to the nations. You see the the hospitality corner who are the keen volunteers and they're planning a discussion how can we um, how can we carry out the next event well you know we see the theologians corner who are busy translating Hebrew and we see and we see the creative and cool corner who are busy repping Jesus merch shout out to imprint you know <laughs> you can get this at we are imprint.org forward slash shop <laughs> I'll just show you the back you know <laughs> But I'm not in that corner, just saying. <laughs> but you see this corner, you see those, you know, the core Christians who, you know, go out to Christian socials past midnight and so on. <laughs> and slowly, 
and slowly these groups that were meant to sharpen you and help you in your accountability now become camps of segregation where you feel like these are the only people I can relate to. And as a result, you end up missing and missing out on the nutrients that you can gain from other parts of the body and other people in the church community. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17 to 21, he says, if the whole body were an eye, how could you hear? If, you, if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. You see, friends, God does not want uniformity. He wants diversity. And in our diversity, he wants unity. We want you to, to be yourself, but also to be open to other people who are completely different to you in your church community. Because it's in our diversity that the Lord matures us, where we get to see different aspects of God in other people that prunes us and that inspires us. So honestly, I've just seen in my own experience that a lack of diversity in a community makes the church deficient and inefficient as well. So we need each other. Despite what scale you're on, we need each other. So say to the person next to you, I need you. And you need me. Stop fronting, okay? <laughs> Don't forget to stop fronting because we like to pretend. <laughs> Amazing. So even in the chat, you can write, I need you. So like I mentioned before, over the last few weeks, we have been doing the fivefold, the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, and how they are gifts to the church to strengthen all of us in our faith. But I would like to know in this talk that these are not the only gifts that, God, that God's spirit gives to people in order to bless the wider community. There are so much more. And we can actually see this in Romans 12, verse 6 to 9. So let's turn there. I think it will appear on screens. Okay. It says, in his grace, so aka in his generosity, God has given us different gifts of doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. Wow. <laughs> if it is giving, give generously. If God has given you, the, given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. The gifts noted here are the gift of prophecy, the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of encouragement, the gift of leadership, and the gift of kindness. And did we know that all of these things are gifts that God gives to people in order to bless other people? Especially when it comes to you know, things like the gift of encouragement, the gift of kindness. And some of you right now need to know that God has called you, your role in this community is to be an encourager and to encourage well. And I was just saying um, in the earlier service that encouragement can bring so much deliverance to an individual. An encouraging word can literally change someone's whole perspective and even the, the trajectory of their lives. 
And, I'm, and, and I am yet to meet one person who, who says, I don't need any form of encouragement. We all do. And what's so interesting about all of these gifts is Paul is basically saying in the verses that we just read that if God's spirit has given you a gift, then it's your responsibility to exercise it and to do it well. So he's basically saying, know your assignment. And let's be honest, there's sometimes, there's times when we don't want to exercise our gift and when, you know, we honestly feel like I can't be bothered. And for me personally, there was a time where, you know, I have the gift of prophecy. And there was a time I got a bit burnt out um, a few years ago, not because of my gift, but mainly because I wasn't really looking after myself properly. And I just took it out of my gift. And I legit said, you know what, I'm not going to prophesy over anyone else again. And honestly, <laughs> and I, only, I stuck to my word and I really, I really gave a prophetic word unless someone explicitly asked me, God forgive me. <laughs> and, a few months, um, and a few months after my resignation as a prophet, I, <laughs> I heard the Lord say to me, son, what are you doing? And I said, God, what do you mean? <laughs> And he said to me, I have given you, I have given you a prophetic voice and you're not using it. And he said that this is your role that you play in my body. Essentially, the Lord was saying to me that I have given you a gift that basically helps to direct, to correct people and to encourage people with my revelation. And when the Lord said that to me, I acknowledged what he said to me and I asked him, and I also repented from my resignation, <laughs> and I asked him to strengthen me again and to also give me wisdom to exercise my gift in a non-burdensome way. And maybe you're not as dramatic as me and you didn't give a resignation letter to the Lord. But maybe you are someone here and it just occurred to you that I actually have the gift of serving. And I have the gift of helping other people, but you don't exercise it because the people around you can't match your sacrifice. But in actual fact, you have a gift. You have a special grace from God to help people, which means, and you might not like to hear it, you have a special capacity that outweighs most people in this area. And you've, if you have this gift, it's understandable why you might get wary of doing good. But I just want to encourage you that the work you're doing does not go in vain. And maybe you have the gift of kindness and you have a special grace to love people well and you're so, and you're so compassionate. But you don't always manifest it because you feel like other people can't love you with the same intentionality and stuff. And it, and it hurts you. And, you know, in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who are meek. In other words, they don't feel like they need to pave a way for themselves. And the promise is that blessed are those who are weak. The promise is that for they will inherit the kingdom of God. So this is essentially saying that the Lord will not give you the short end of the stick. You will inherit the kingdom of God. So he's saying that even if other people might not love you like the way he... Um, even if other people might not love you the way you want to be loved, he can. He's able to give you what other people can't. You won't get the short end of the stick. 
And the Lord in his mercy have ways of calling upon other people who can meet you in your need. Often we want it to be that specific individual, but the Lord is much more bigger than just one individual. Amen? Or maybe you have the gift of leadership, but you are wary of taking responsibility because you don't want to look too controlling or, some, or simply you might just feel like it's too hard and you can't be bothered. But it's your gift, it's your responsibility in God's body to lead. He has gifted you to do so. And I really feel like the Lord is just reiterating that to someone, that he has called you to lead. And maybe you're thinking, God, it's hard and these people are annoying. God, Christians are weird and they frustrate me. But the Lord is reiterating to you, it is your gift to lead. So say to the person next to you, know your assignment. Know your assignment. Amazing. Amazing. So my next point, your assignment is not your confinement. I'll read that again. Your assignment is not your confinement. So many people feel that because I'm not gifted in an area, then I do not need to do that particular thing or be proactive in growing in that area. And I actually find this quite funny because as we read in Romans chapter 12, you know, Paul says that there's a special gift called the gift of kindness. And even though for me personally, uh, my kindness might not, my capacity, especially in kindness, might not match people who work in the area of social care and social work, it doesn't mean I don't need to try to be kind to people. And, you know, you might think this is funny, but there's people who literally say, and maybe perhaps you're one of them, honestly, no condemnation, I have definitely been there, but perhaps you are someone who said that because I don't have the gift of prophecy, I don't feel like I have the gift of prophecy, and I'm definitely not a prophet, so I don't need to prophesy to anyone. Or maybe there's other people that say, I am not an evangelist, and God hasn't yet revealed to me that I have the gift of healing. So I don't need to share my faith or be intentional in praying for those who are unwell. But if you are one of those people, then I just want to perhaps change your perspective with this verse that Paul says. He says, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Say with me, earnestly. What does earnestly mean? It says to pursue something with seriously sincere and intense conviction. I read that again. To pursue something with seriously sincere and intense conviction. That's what it says. Earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And I love that word helpful because it's a reminder that these gifts that have been outlined are not just gifts for ourselves, but it's gifts to bless other people in our community. So honestly, areas that you feel like you might be weak in, you can ask the Lord to strengthen you in those areas. You can ask the Lord to anoint you, to anoint you in those, in those giftings, and you can even actively learn from other people who are gifted in those areas as well. And lastly, I just want to talk about the character in which we demonstrate our giftings and callings. And we can turn to, we can turn again back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. That same verse where it says, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Let me read that again. 
you sh so you should earnestly decide the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So Paul is saying that as amazing as it is, you know, demonstrating your gifts, you might be a sick singer, you might be someone who can, you know, um, prophesy um, and you get so much clarity. You might just be so, so gifted in so many different ways. Paul says there is something greater than you just manifesting your gifts. And we can find what it is in the next chapter. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And he says these words, talking about the giftings. He says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of nations, but didn't love others, I will simply be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Hmm, wow. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And the thing is, unfortunately, there are people who are so gifted, so anointed by God. There are people who can prophesy, design, worship lead. But unfortunately, they have quite poor character. And they are gifted, but they don't exercise their gift through the lens of love. And this was the issue, the context that Paul is speaking to. He's speaking to the, uh, to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a deeply spiritual church. They were filled with many gifted people um, like our church. And everyone was busy showing off their gifts, prophesying for days, uttering great mysteries, serving the poor. They had giftings in so many different areas. If you thought there was a gift, then honestly, they were, there, were, there was probably someone in that community that was gifted in that area. But the fact is that they didn't move in love. They didn't love other people. And Paul tells them, in other words, that your gift, what you do in this community, is useless. He says, you have gained nothing if it's not merged with love. So friends, you might be a great leader. You might be able to riff for days. You might be able to create epic designs. You might be able to play the seventh chord and take people to the realms. But if you don't have love, you have achieved nothing. If, you, if you're not active in loving other people, you have gained nothing. And Paul is so concerned about the church in Corinth, about the way they carry out their giftings, that he literally had to spell out what love is to them. And for some of us, we might be familiar with the next few verses I'm going to read, because it's often used for weddings. But just to let you know, the context in which Paul said some of these verses is in a context in a community that was so gifted but that was showing off and had no love present in what they did. So he spells out what love is, and we can see what it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. He says this, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It does not, it is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. 
it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth. But rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is what love is. So for Paul to say that love is patient and kind, how many of us can guess that this church is referring to one not patient and kind? For him to say that love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude, then we can assume that they were probably jealous, boastful and rude. He also says, love is not irritable, keeping a record of wrongs, doesn't rejoice in justice, gives up loose faith. And there were probably all of these things. And the thing is, like, I'm a bit biased, but I feel like we have a great church. We have a church filled with so many gifted, talented, anointed people who are going to do and who are already doing such amazing work. But I really would love this to be the blueprint in which we exercise our various giftings and callings to exercise and do it through love. You know, what would it look like to have leaders that endure, that don't give up easily? to have musicians and artists who are humble, to have prophets that are kind, to have teachers that are patient, to have evangelists that are gracious and not easily offended, and to have friends that are forgiven. What would our church look like? And honestly, I feel like it will look like this. I feel like it will be a church that says there is space on the table for all of us. You know, a friend of mine, again, who's um, a church leader, he, he said, well, uh, <laughs> your church literally has so many talented and gifted and anointed people. That is true, we do. Um, and he literally said to me, and he asked me honestly, he said, Wale, how do you not feel intimidated when you receive all these different people in your community and stuff? And I said to him, it's easy. I know that we're not competition, but we're compliments. <laughs> and the thing is, we need each other to do God's work. We can't do this by ourselves. And I just want you, again, to say to your neighbor, I need you. <laughs> and you need me. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So you might be listening to me and you might feel like you are not seen perhaps in this community, that there's other people who are more gifted, anointed than you. But I just want to tell you, despite your gift, despite whether you have a mic, or not, a mic in your hand or not, that you are just as fundamental to God's church as any of us. We need you.